Welcome to the Metaphoricist Magazine podcast, your home for beautifully made speculative fiction. The magazine is edited by B. Morris Allen, and I'm your host, Matt Gomez. This week's story is The Eye of the Goddess by Samuel Parr. Sam grew up in northwest Leicestershire, in countryside man-made and wild. He is fascinated with the mundane fantastic of the day-to-day and writes about these in the breathing spaces of his life. Let's jump in. The solo person had said Ingolfer was too weak to reach the goddess's isle. Their laughter haunted him for three days across the sea, yet finally he found the island's skirt of silver mist, as the druids had promised. The vapor shelled him in silver, softening the itch of his blood-stained skin and deepening his certainty. This place had been his destiny since he was born. Yet when the mist lifted, he felt a flicker of doubt. The twilight sun revealed only a spit of summer forest, girdled by basalt cliffs. After twenty years of stories, he had expected the isle to fill the sky. Still, he kept on rowing. The goddess must be here. It was only fitting that, like him, the isle hid its true nature. As he entered a small cove armored in shingle, he imagined the land itself reaching out to greet him. For a moment, the fear he had carried across the long waves disappeared. Then he saw the man, waiting still as granite on the shore. He looked a common shepherd, a cloak of rough wool, eyes of dull flint, and skin carved by too many winters. But Ingolfer felt a spike of dread. The druid's adage echoed in his ear, No man who seeks the isle stays. This place should be home only to beasts and birds. Yet wasn't Ingolfer a great warrior, still cloaked in the blood and ash of his last battle? He groped for the comfort of his sword hilt. The shepherd was the one who should fear. Hail, Saltwalker, he called as Ingolfer beached, his voice cracked but strong. I've goat's milk and fruit wine, and would be pleased to share. He spread his hands. My hall is drafty, but plenty wide for two. Do you follow the cross or the moon? Ingolfer asked, proud of how fearlessly his voice barreled through the salt wind. The challenge made him sound a true solo person. The man laughed. The moon, lad, and her goddess. Fool as I'd be to say otherwise to one of Solifer's swords. You know my order? Aye, though you're young to have taken the vows. I am old enough, Ingolfer snapped, and it is my vows that have led me here. This is the Isle of Dragons? Some call it that the man said, eyes narrowing. Others ask for the moon's rest, or the soul's mirror. But I, lad, the goddess is here. Ingolfer kept his face cold, but excitement bloomed inside him. I am Affy Haraldson, the old man continued. What may I call? I am Ingolfer of the suns, Ingolfer interrupted. I seek the goddess's judgment. I have lameller and mail, and a blade of pure star steel and the silver crosses of seven knights. Guide me to her, and all of it is yours. Seven knights? Affy grinned, and Ingolfer's fist curled. This hermit doubted him, like all the others. Aye, I'll guide you, though you're an unusual son, lad. He tapped the ship's prow with his foot. In my day, Solofer's warriors would never travel alone, or in such a ship. Ingolfer flinched. 
Afi had noticed the long-bodied carvings wriggling over every inch of the ship, each flickering a forked tongue. The other sons had gouged them there after they chained him, a suitable shape, they claimed, for a coward. Yet he would prove them wrong. He unsheathed his sword, reaching for the clarity he had felt when he spoke the vows of the Soloferson two years ago. I swear my soul to protecting the people of the moon. The boat split in two with a single blow. The planks danced across the pebbles to be lapped by the waves. Afi's gentle smile did not waver. That was unwise, he said. It was not. Inglefer looked to the sky. Above, a herring gull soared, the setting sunlight casting it into a sliver of gold. When I leave this island, it will be on wings. Affy led him up a steep cliffside path, littered with the skeletons of shearwater chicks. When they crested the top, Heathland rolled out for a few hundred feet before the forest engulfed it. The air was thick with the scents of heather pollen and rotting seaweed. Apart from the single goal, the sky was empty. After seeing the endless temples of the crosslands, Inglefer was disappointed that this, the greatest of his people's myths, was so mundane. Beautiful, isn't she? Affy said. Used to be folk of all creeds came here, but you're the first for many a season. You have been on this isle a long time, Inglefer said. Were you here to guide Solifer too? Affy's mouth twitched. Afraid not, lad. Never guided the dragon lord. Inglefer felt a sting of disappointment. The story of Solifer was woven as deep within him as the isles. Two decades ago, the great clanfather had left his people as a man and sought the eye of the goddess. He had never returned, but his transformation had been depicted in crafted steel in the soul of Furson's hall. Not as bird or beast, but as a winged dragon, the ultimate symbol of warriorhood. The druid sang that he had flown on to the cross homeland, to fight the knights there. Inglefer had stared at the carved beast for long hours in his childhood, feeling the longing in his gut. If only he had had a dragon's strength, he wouldn't have grown up alone. Affy peered upwards. There's someone just as impressive for you to meet, though, he said. You'll need her approval, if I'm to guide you. The herring gull was coming closer, transforming from a fragment of light into a snow-feathered bird, its beak a golden spear tip dipped in blood. Affy grinned as it landed on his shoulder. This is Carrie, he said gently. She wanted to see if you would gut me before she said hello. The herring gull cocked an eye of speckled brown at Inglefer, blinking once before giving a keening cry. Ah, she likes you, Affy said, caressing her neck. Are the skies clear, my light? She bobbed. Inglefer's throat tightened. She has received the goddess's gifts, he said. Affy nodded. Wonder filled him. The white of the gull's feathers reminded him of the druid's cave paintings on the mainland, ancient images daubed in charcoal and crushed shell, showing a woman in a black pool before a white orb inscribed with an eye. The moon of the goddess, lady of seasons and tides and all true things. Its light rippled down, casting the woman's reflection into the water. Not that of a human, but of a white seal. In the next painting, the woman was gone, and only the seal remained, swimming away into an ocean of shadow. It's true then, 
he said. You stand before the goddess's eye, and she reflects your soul's shape. A druid tell you that, Affy said, eyes glinting. Aye, lad, you're right enough. Inglefer shivered. He had a sudden urge to reach out and touch the bird's feathers, but he fought it back. That was not how a solo first enacted. I admire seekers such as you, Affy said. It's an act of great bravery to hunt such truth. Truth? I know my soul, old man. It is a dragon's, like Solofer's before me. He hated how amusement danced in the old man's eyes. You doubt me? Nay, lad, only curious. What makes you so sure? My soul echoes his. Inglefer's voice thickened with pride. Always he has inspired me. On the mainland he had everything. The oaths of a hundred warriors, a mighty hall of golden oak, and two young sons to carry his legacy. Yet he left them behind to come here. He gave everything to protect his people. I too am willing to make such a sacrifice. A mighty calling for one so young, Affy murmured. But he wasn't even listening, staring past Inglefer to the ocean. And it seems you're merely the first wonder today, Inglefer, dragon soul, to arrive on the goddess's shore. The sea was darkening, but the mist still shone. In its depths, a silhouette loomed. A sailing boat. A sinuous shape writhed inside Inglefer's gut. They had followed him here. Likely a lost fisher, Affy said, stroking Carrie. If so, they know not to beach. Yet Inglefer was already moving. The clotted shadow of the forest beckoned him to melt into it and become something scaled and slithering amongst the undergrowth. Before the trees, he braved a look back. The shadow had disappeared. Nothing approached the island. But how many other ships might be out there, hiding just behind the innocent face of the mists? Looked like you were fleeing, lad, Affy said as he entered the trees. Inglefer managed to laugh. A solo person does not spook at a fishing boat, old man. Affy chuckled as he led them amongst twilit maples and pines, navigating a floor of brambles heavy with dewberries. Carrie flitted ghost-like from tree to tree. Something crunched underneath Inglefer's feet. Tiny bones. They stank of rancid meat. The night had nearly closed in when Affy stopped by a gray-barked oak at the edge of a stream. He retrieved a pile of dry sticks from a hollow under the tree's roots, then pulled out a sparking flint. We continue, Inglefer said. The flash of the flint lit Affy's frown. We don't, lad, he said. No matter how much you brandish that star steel, I'd prefer dealing with an angry sun to seeking the eye at night. He pulled out a skin from his waist. But if you promise not to slay me, I'll share my wine. Inglefer hesitated, hearing the sun's laughter in his ear. A solo person did not obey the commands of hermits. He should make Affy continue, at sword's point if he had to. But surely a son could also be magnanimous, and his armor felt heavy. He sat. Affy whooped and handed him the skin. Inglefer took a sip and cursed. Taste of fire and piss, he hissed. Fermented myself, Affy said. Vintage of the goddess. Drink, lad. There's naught else I can offer you but nuts and berries. You have no meat? 
No, lad. Never hunt on the isle. The alcohol was strong at least, and it helped soften the ship's silhouette in Ingolfer's mind. This was a far cry from the sun's camps. There, every sun sparred for the right to eat, with any deemed wanting going hungry while forced to serve the rest. Yet here, the forest was quiet. No birdsong, no scampering of beasts, only the stream's murmur and the fire's crackle. Ingolfer felt his breathing slow. Something shifted in the darkness. He started, hand on his hilt. A mountain hare emerged to sit at the fire's edge, the red light glittering off eyes of aquamarine. A green-eyed fox soon joined it, sitting next to its prey to stare at Ingolfer. His skin prickled. Bear them no mind, Affy said. They only like the flames. I think they remember them. The beasts sat there for a long time as the night deepened. Their gazes were gentle, but they irked Ingolfer. He felt like they were an audience, judging his worth. Remove your armor, lad, Affy said. It must weigh you down. A son doesn't remove his plate until the battle is done. Oh, I've been wondering about that. Where are the brothers of your order? In my time, whether they camped, sailed, or raided, the Solofersen did so together. Ingolfer flinched. The fire's crackle was suddenly like laughter. I was named Dragon Sold, he said, and so only I am worthy to follow Solofer's footsteps. I was a warrior of great might on the mainland, the youngest son to ever be taken on assault ranging into the crosslands. I must have been a sight. It was, Ingolfer said, voice warming. We sailed into their lands for five days to reach their monastery and their god. You should have seen it, a mountain's worth of stone in a single building, more treasure than a hundred dowries and windows of hard light yet none of it could stop us paying them back for what they did. And what had they done, Affy said. What they have done for generations. Steal our flocks, steal our land, steal our children. He found he was spitting the words. They took my brother when I was a boy. Ah, I'm sorry, lad. Ingolfer shook his head, remembering the pure white sails of the nights on the horizon. He and Talofer had been building a raft on the beach so that they could seek the isle. His brother had told Ingolfer to fetch the sons, but he had been too scared and instead hid in the grass. His insides curled in shame at the memory. I was weak then, he said. I could not stop it. But the soul of Fersen trained me to be strong. We came upon that monastery like dragons and the cross fled like snakes. His hand twitched at the memory of his blade cleaving through the back of his seventh night. The priests barricaded themselves in their church without even facing us, yet we were the sons of Solofer Dragon Soul and would not be denied. He remembered the laughter of the men as they had stacked the pitched hard wood against the doors, how their war chief laughed louder than all of them and ordered Ingolfer to set it alight. Affy frowned, lifting a hand. Hold a moment, he murmured. When I was on the mainland, the cross would have boys in their churches to sing their gods' praises. You mentioned the priests and the knights, but what of them? Ingolfer's hand twitched again. I saw none such, he said. We are not child killers, old man. That is why I am here after all. When I take the dragon shape, the cross will take no more children. I will fly high above our shores and burn any knight that dare come close. 
Afi nodded slowly. Carrie gave a soft coo, as if soothing him. Inglefur flushed. He had forgotten the beasts a moment. The fox and rabbit were watching him still. Then he tensed. Another eye glittered in the darkness. Afi followed his gaze. Another visitor, he said softly. You are welcome at our fire. Inglefur leapt up at the creature that slithered into the light. The flame danced off its long body, revealing scales patterned to light and shadow. Its tongue tasted the air. A snake, he hissed. Afi lifted his hands. Just another friend, seeking the fire's comfort. Inglefur shook his head. When it stopped, the snake was near invisible amongst the leaves. The memory of his ship's wriggling carvings flashed, and he heard Sword Chief Falford's voice in his ear, the chief's voice dark as the sea's depths. We defile your body and mark you snake-souled. Any son would be shamed, Inglefur spat, to have their soul revealed in such a shape. He drew his sword. Make it leave. I won't suffer such a coward at my fire. Hush, lad. Don't shout. Not this late. Make it leave, Inglefur roared. His cry split the night. And, in the long dark beyond the fire, another scream answered. It ravaged the air, a sound between a fox's howl, an eagle's screech, and a man's cry, but a hundred times raw, piercing with its sudden need. It sounded close. The rabbit and fox bolted while the snake slipped into the leaves. Inglefur scanned the darkness. A beast? Beyond the fire, the night crouched everywhere, and against it, his star steel seemed an inconsequential slip of light. A sun would stand fast. A sun would be brave. The air suddenly reeked with carrion, and a shadow crossed the moon. Inglefur yelped and kicked at the fire, smothering the flames. In the darkness, he pressed himself to the earth, filled with a vast, familiar fear. We name you Snake-Souled, the war chief whispered again. Afi's voice, when it came, was calm. Needn't have done that, lad. What is that? Inglefur hissed. The reason we're waiting here. Have no fear. It mislikes coming amongst the trees and will slumber tomorrow. Inglefur shivered, unable to rise. It sounded like a beast, he said. Wounded, perhaps. Wounded? Aye, I suppose so. Take it as a warning. Not all of the goddess's gifts are good, lad. Some men's souls are unnatural, and unnatural souls have unnatural reflections. But it will not come into the trees. Sleep. Regain your strength. He was right, it seemed. Inglefur waited for a long time, yet nothing disturbed the forest. Yet he couldn't sleep, not with the beast's scream echoing in his ears. Eventually, he rose to pace and pace in the dark, finally falling into an uneasy drowsing far from Affy's relit fire. He dreamt of hands pushing him down, forcing his body to fold and coil in on itself, while men laughed with the roars of dragons, ecstatic in their violence. Inglefur woke to Affy standing over him, a sword in his hand. He was on his feet before he realized the blade was sheathed in a scabbard of tattered leather, the hilt rotten with rust. Affy's eyes creased. Not for you, lad. You didn't have that yesterday, Ingolfer said. He would have noticed. 
Even simple steel swords were a luxury few could afford. Affy's glance flickered to a tree branch where Carrie perched, preening her feathers. Yesterday, there wasn't a longship approaching my island. What? His gut writhed. Did it have a dragon's head? Affy's eyes were very still. So, you know it. They had found him. There are other seekers, he said, managing to keep his face impassive, as a son should. We must make haste. I do not want to compete for the goddess's attention. By the time they find the eye, I will be soaring over the sea. It was all he could do not to break into a run as he followed Affy through the forest. He pictured the dragon ship, how the warriors would fill the fifteen benches, oars defying the waves, how they would pour from the ship in formation, swords naked, how they would laugh as they found his tracks. Compared to them, the forest was insultingly peaceful. The sunlight shone slight and silvery, while a cool wind brought the sense of loam and rain. It would have been beautiful if not for the silence. He listened for the voices of his pursuers, but there was not even birdsong. Yet he caught the glint of eyes watching from the trees twice, and his feet crunched on more bones tangled in the brambles. As they went, the skeletons grew more common and larger. Rabbits and squirrels, gulls and guillemots, twice a goat and once a deer. Beasts died in any forest, yet these bones were blackened and crazed and often scattered as if they had been dropped from a great height. Each had been picked clean, but was still heavy with the scent of rotting meat. It was a relief when the trees finally cleared, revealing the crash of the northern shore and clean salt air. Affy called for a halt at the forest's edge, murmuring several things to carry before the gull took wing. She will watch for the others, Ingolfer said. Aye, always does. The shoreline was slow going. The tide was receding, leaving rock pools slippery with seaweed. Ingolfer glanced into one. Beneath his broken reflection, hermit crabs sheltered, their shells striated with red and white, retreating into themselves under his shadow. How far, he said. Affy pointed beyond the rock pools to a beach of shingles, a mirror to the cove where Ingolfer had landed. It ended in two great flanks of rock, leading into a cave. At the seat of the tides, the eye rests, he intoned. There, the goddess will show the shape of your soul. I will be a dragon, Ingolfer said. His jaw tightened as Affy frowned. You doubt? Carrie's cry cut Ingolfer off. Affy's eyes widened. Run, lad, he cried. Ingolfer twisted, expecting to see the suns howling from the forest. A shadow passed overhead, trailing the stink of rot. The creature that slammed onto the rocks came to Ingolfer in fragments, a winged body the size of an auroch armored in scales black as basalt, a bird's head with eyes weeping shadow, four legs ending in the vast hands of a man. Then the parts resolved into a single beast. Ingolfer stepped back, gut coiling. The creature spread fans of greasy feathers and screamed. Then, slicking from the great beak, came words. Raid we shall over the salt road. It exhaled, in a voice like a storm wind. He ran. Ahead, Affy sprinted to the cave. Ingolfer tried to match him, but his mail weighed him down, and he stumbled in a shallow rock pool. A shadow surrounded him, then whistled past. 
the beast smashed into the shore to his right, skittering pebbles. Sun, sun, burn we shall. Inglefur's heart convulsed at the dreadful voice. Affy had reached the cave's mouth, but stopped in its shadow, and called something. The cave looked too small for the beast, yet the sound of crashing shingle came closer and closer as the creature gave chase. The scent of hot metal and blood and spoiled meat assaulted Inglefur. He readied himself for the touch of those vast fingers. Yet, just as the footsteps crescendoed, they stopped. The beast whispered right in his ear. Son, my son, it is good, so good you are here. Whimpering, Inglefur found a final burst of speed and slipped past Affy into the darkness. He ran until the screams were only an echo behind him. His eyes adjusted to a tunnel lit by distant sunlight. A shadow approached, and he caught a flash of trembling white. Carrie. I thought a son like yourself might face such a beast, Affy said, breathing hard. Inglefur groaned, shaking at the old man's words. Affy was right. They had all been right. He was a snake, a coward, unfit to be a solo person. Calm now, Affy said. No shame in wisdom. If you faced Solofer, you would have been killed. His voice was gentle. This is not how you spoke to a son. Inglefur shut his eyes, longing to escape. Then he raised his head. That was Solofer? I lad. Different from your legends. But, Inglefur exhaled. That creature was nothing like the depictions of the dragon lord from his childhood. Monster, he thought. Yet the ground had shaken under its feet, its skin glittered brighter than mail, and it had flown. How could any cross knight stand against such a creature? He has terrorized this isle for decades, Affy said. Yet it has been years since I have seen him in the sun. It burns him, as do the forest's leaves. He stroked Carrie's still shaking wings. We have guided dozens to the eye without him daring the daylight. Yet now you are here. He wakes. He spoke to me, Inglefur said. He spoke to you, boy? Was that envy in the old man's voice? What did he say? It had been nonsense, a stream of sound. But then, my son. He had called Inglefur his son. Inglefur closed his eyes, letting that truth sink into him. Affy sighed. It matters not, I suppose. Now you understand, lad. Seek a different shape. But Inglefur found he was being filled with a bright, hard certainty. All my life, he said, rising. My people have called me weak. A shame to my people, my goddess, my father. Still, I swore to protect them. He exhaled, remembering the long years as a child staring at the sea hoping to see a longship. I always knew I would follow my father here. Father, Affy said, stepping back. Inglefur laughed, suddenly elated. Yes, old man, I am the son of Solofer, by oath and blood. And out there, he claimed me. Take me to the eye, Affy Haraldson, as heir to the dragon jarl. I command it. 
Afi's hand twitched toward his hilt. You are his spawn, he growled. Then no. Inglefer drew his sword. Yet before he could swing, Carrie darted forward, talons wrapping around his wrist. Her brown eyes gazed at him with a human gentleness, as if seeking something in him. Then his hand was on her body. Part of him quailed, the slithering weakling, which the sons had always mocked. But he pushed the thoughts away. This was what a son would do. Lead me, Affy, he said. Carrie shrieked as he tightened his fingers. He could feel the whisper of her heartbeat. The old man's face became very cold, but he finally obeyed. He led Inglefer through a honeycomb of sea caves, full of soft sand and the crash of the ocean. They came to a tunnel toothed with quartz, so narrow that the crystals pricked at Inglefer's armor. It eventually widened, and Inglefer gasped. A vast rock pool stretched out in all directions, churning like the far salt maelstrom he had once seen from the longship. Natural shafts in the ceiling let silver light dance on its tattered surface. Moonlight, despite the fact it was surely still daytime. On its shores, everything was changing. Bindweed vines softened into moss as they climbed from the salt water to the dripping stone wall. Great thickets of seaweed gleamed with fish eggs. Some hatched as he watched, their trembling bodies pulled away by the pool's flow. The eye, Affy said. I hope it's worth it, lad. What do I do? Step into the water. The goddess will reveal the shape of your soul. To accept it, you need only cast yourself into the waves. You have served me well, Inglefer said. He released Carrie, but she just fluttered to his shoulder. He growled and pushed her away, then stepped into the pool, the cold water pulling at him like a question. Goddess, he said, I am Inglefer, son of Solofer. Like my father before me, see my soul. Grant me the power to protect my people. In the center of the whirlpool was a light. It grew as he waded deeper, a flickering red and gold. He understood. It was the light of the monastery, after the suns had torched its timber outbuildings. He could hear their laughter and the thin wails of those inside. I fought well there, he said. I slew three knights in your name. The light softened into the gold of a twilight sky. The water was up to his neck now. It tightened around him, making him thrash to stay afloat. And there, in the fragments of the maelstrom, he saw his reflection and the shape the goddess offered him. A serpent, flat on its belly, hiding in the grass. He turned away with a cry. Affy's sword whistled past his ear. Inglefer was unsure whether horror or instinct got him out of that pool, but the next thing he knew, he was gasping on the rocks, sword in hand as Affy advanced. The old man's tattered sheath hung by his side, yet he held no rusted blade, but a white-blue length of steel, tempered and folded into the brilliance of a star. Sorry, lad, he said, but I won't allow another dragon. He leapt with a viper's speed. Inglefer barely turned his thrust, and Affy easily sidestepped his counterswipe. Only instinct saved him from the next five attacks. Affy's form was honed, his grip changing expertly as he moved from thrust to cut to guard. Yet it was more than that. He struck to kill. Like a son. 
Inglefer tried to deflect, but the serpent's shape flashed in his mind. His guard opened for a heartbeat, and Affy's sword arced into a killing blow. A white shape flickered between them. Carrie. Affy flinched, angling his blade away as Inglefer counterstruck, sword rasping against Affy's, bringing their faces close. Why? he screamed. Why didn't I see a dragon? Affy's eyes widened. It means you are not your father, lad. No! Inglefer shouted. The bitch got it wrong! But a traitorous voice whispered inside him. How much easier would it be to hold a snake's simple form? How much safer to slip under the cover of grass and heather and hide from their laughter? What had made him flinch in the pool? The snake's shape or the fact it had pleased him? He collapsed, sword clattering on the stone. He had failed. He bowed his head, ready for Affy's blow. Instead, the old man knelt. It seems, he said, that Carrie doesn't want me to kill you. Do it, Inglefer whispered. Give me a son's death. Affy hesitated before placing a hand on Inglefer's shoulder. Let me tell you a tale, he murmured. That might give you hope. He sighed, and the weariness and the sound made him seem truly old. When Zolofer came to this isle, lad, he wasn't alone. I came with him, as his most trusted thane. We'd heard the stories of the goddess's power, and after one hundred raids together, we believed we were heroes. But after so long killing, all we cared about was blood. And so, when we came to the eye, the goddess showed us what our souls had become. Not the beings of fire we thought ourselves, but monsters of rot with tattered wings that would not carry us across the sea. Your father was entranced. He ordered me to take the shape with him, and I was tempted, I. But the truth of what I was also horrified me. Your father was furious when I refused him. He gave a low laugh. He attacked me, and I fled as he changed. That was when Carrie found me. She brought me fish and led me through the deeper tunnels, where I could escape Solofer's new form. It hurt to see her body's purity when I knew mine was so twisted. It hurt more to feel the kindness she gave me, kindness I didn't deserve. I had brought pain and suffering to her isle. Solofer and I had sworn to protect our people, same as you, yet the dragon was killing all he could. And so I repeated the oath I had taken as a Solofersen. I would protect her from him, as well as all the others seeking the goddess. And so I did, lad. For two decades, I have learnt Solofer's ways and guided our people across this isle. And in doing so, I have come to a revelation. Your reflection can change. Now I look in the eye and witness another form. His voice cracked. But I cannot take it, not while Solofer still soars. Slowly, Inglefer lifted his head. Your reflection changed? He croaked. Affy nodded. What do you think the goddess sees through her eye? He whispered. The druids claim she reflects our soul's shape, but how does she see it? After twenty years, I think I have found my answer. 
It's our desires, lad. Our desires, after all, are the expressions of our change. Our desires are the language of our souls. The goddess sees them and grants us the shape to fulfill them. He stroked Ingolfer's hair like a mother might. So I ask you, lad, before the goddess, what do you want to be truly? And what's stopping you from becoming it? Ingolfer gritted his teeth, the silence yawning until he could bear it no longer. All my life I've been afraid, he whispered. But all my life I wanted to be a solo person. I thought if only I pretended, if I ignored my fear, I could become so. It worked for a while, but then we came to that monastery. And there were children. Falfer, our war chief, ordered me to lock the boys in the nave and burn the monastery down, to finally prove I was my father's son. I wanted to do it, but the crossboys were crying out, and suddenly I was back on that beach hearing Tullofer's screams. I couldn't set the monastery alight. I was too scared. The words came like bile. And so, they overpowered me and took me to the cliff face. Before the goddess's tides, Falfer named my soul as snakes, doomed to run and hide forever. Yet I couldn't run. The others held me down while he... He gagged, his mouth filling with the taste of earth and blood and a thousand ancient things. He remembered how Falfer's hands had tightened at his waist, how the war chief had grunted as he shamed Ingolfer, over and over, before inviting the other sons to join. They had laughed while Ingolfer could only writhe on his belly and stare at the gulls above, folding in the golden air, floating and free of all of them. It's all right, my lad, Affy said. Let it out of you. A warm weight landed on Ingolfer's back. Carrie, giving soft chirps as she settled. Their gentleness burned. How could such a weak man have once been his father's chosen warrior? How could they forgive him? These men, Affy said, are the ones on the boat. They hunt me, Ingolfer said. They left me bound in the dirt, but I snapped the rope and ran. This is the one place I could come, the one place I could prove that I was a solo person. But all along that serpent was curled around my soul. They will find me and do it all again, and my only escape is through that pool. Affy shook his head. The goddess gave you another gift, if only you see it. She offers you a new form, aye, but also clarity. You say you want to be a solo person, but if that were true, lad, you would have killed those children, and the goddess would have reflected you as a monster. Aye, you may be afraid. Aye, the goddess offers you a way out, but she also offers you the choice of whether to accept it or strive for something more. How? How can I change? I have been this way all my life. Affy barked a laugh. By choosing to want something different, he said. Your own choice. Not what you think your father would want, or his sons. He rose. Come then, lad. I'm getting impatient. If you're not going to jump in the eye, you'll need to get off this aisle. He sucked his teeth. I told you not to destroy your boat. No, Ingolfer said. There is no way out for me, old man. Run and save yourself. Affy grinned, 
his eyes calm and cold as a hawk's. I've not outfoxed Solo for half my life to give up so easily. The isle is filthy with tunnels, plenty of ways for you to slip past these warriors. Then you'll have your whole life to decide who it is you want to be. The words came like a light. There was a way out. Inglefer stood slowly, hope filling him. You would help me, he said, after I threatened you? Threatened Carrie? I told you, lad. I made a choice. I would protect anyone who wished to find the goddess's salvation. That includes you. And there, Afi's voice certain, eyes bright, Inglefer found he believed him. He blinked in wonder. This old man was like no warrior Inglefer had met, but his sword was swift, his arms still strong. Yet he had not always been this. He had changed. Solofer's scream tore through the caves. Its echoes sounded like laughter. They would always follow him, he realized. No, he said. I won't run. If I do, I'll be the snake they said I was. Affy raised an eyebrow. Then what, lad? There are too many to face alone. Solofer roared again. Inglefer bowed his head. An idea was forming. An idea not bright enough for hope. But still, a light, or at least the reflection of one, in the dark depths of his soul. I won't be alone, he said. Out there, my father called me his son. For all I have failed, he still recognized me. He met their eyes, feeling the power in the gaze of the bird and the old warrior. How, even after his failings, they expected him to be something more. I will go to him. The teeth of night closed as Inglefer stepped out of the cave. Shadows tore the sky as the sun set, while the wind sang of sleet and sea ice. They must have been in the eye for hours. He exhaled, feeling the weight of his plate around his chest. Affy had tried to stop him, but Inglefer felt a new certainty like a rope pulling him towards this confrontation, twenty years in the making. Solifer lay on the shingles. His wings were folded his thick-knuckled hands clenched around the carcass of a red deer. The great beaked head turned as Inglefer approached, but the dragon did not attack. His eyes were clear now, the light had dimmed, a deep brown, like Inglefer's. Father, Inglefer said. Solofer's feathers flexed, exhaling the scent of offal. The red-tipped beak opened. Sun! My sword, son, welcome, he said, words as harsh as the salt wind. Despite the stink, Inglefer felt something warm inside him. He had always wondered whether Solofer had left him behind because, even unborn, he had known Inglefer would be weak. Yet here his father claimed him. He had lain here for hours, even in the burning sunlight, for Inglefer. Solofer flexed, rolling great banks of muscle before tossing him the carcass. Its flank had been torn open by the dragon's beak, the raw meat blackened and bubbling. Eat, eat, my son, the dragon said. Devour our enemies. The doe stared at Inglefer with blank otherness. She stank the same as the skeletons. She had been a person once. Someone who had sought the goddess and, unlike Inglefer, 
found the change she was hoping for. A follower of the moon, whom the solo person had sworn to protect. Voices came on the wind. Even from here, Ingolfer recognized the warriors as they emerged from the forest. The wolf head of Ingloki, Snary's bear pelt cloak, and Falfer, at the front as always, bareheaded and bestial. The sunlight slicked their armor red gold. There was nowhere to hide. Solofer, too, had seen the men. He rose, and the men faltered, crying out. Ingolfer drew his sword. He thought of Affy, climbing the cave tunnels to safety. How would it have felt to face these men with the old warrior at his side? But he had Solofer here, all he needed. Father, he said, those men approaching us are rapists, child killers, monsters. They wear your mail. They took your oaths, but they are no better than the Cross Knights. Will you face him with me? Solofer roared, the sound shattering across the beach. Ingolfer's heart swelled at the raw hunger in the sound. Perhaps Afi had been wrong. The Soloferson called back, yet it was not a scream of fear or challenge. They cheered. Yes, yes, the dragon cried. Sons, my sons, welcome. Ingolfer felt the world dim. The snake shape curled inside his gut. My sons. Solofer recognized these men too as his own. He hadn't claimed Ingolfer because of their shared blood. He had only understood the gleam of mail and star steel and the memory of old war. And the sons would love the dragon's strength. Perhaps they would load Solofer onto their boat and return to the mainland. Or perhaps they too would seek the goddess's truth and take the dragon shape. The thought made Ingolfer cold. First, though, they would kill Ingolfer, and Solofer would not stop them. He could run. It was not too late to flee to the eye and take the snake's form. A clean cry pierced the air. Carrie, flying high, a beacon of gold. She seemed so small, easy prey for dragons. Someone needed to protect her. He turned back to the sons as they advanced. They were laughing, always laughing. We defile your body and mark you snake-souled. They were right. The goddess had shown him. But was it so bad to be a snake? I have waited so long to meet you, father, he murmured. He stepped into Solofer's shadow, head bowed as he unbelted his blade's sheath. My whole life, I feared myself too weak for your legacy and your oaths. A snake crawled beneath notice. Yes, slave, serve, son, raid we will, Solofer whispered, his gaze on the steel souls advancing across the rocks. He had no intelligence left, Ingolfer realized, just a roving mass of hate and hunger, with his old memories stretched across like dead skin. A snake was nothing to a dragon. Ingolfer unstrung the lamellar cuirass from his chest then shrugged the coat of mail over his head. Finally, he undid the necklace of seven silver crosses. They clattered on the basalt. How much lighter he felt without their weight. He reached for the certainty of his warrior's vows and the strength in his arm that could split a boat in two. A snake still had fangs. Yet you broke the oath, not me, 
he whispered, and with the blade that he had inherited from his father, he pierced Solofer in the chest. Ingolfer ran, yet he ran now not with blind terror. He ran with fear, but also purpose. He kept his senses sharp, ducking and weaving over the rocks, tracking the crash of shingles as Solofer chased him. He knew when to flatten himself in a shallow pool as he heard the dragon leap, dodging the reaching fingers. He knew not to look back at the Soloferson, roaring as they charged. They could not stop him. At first, Solofer had not seemed to notice the star steel as it split through his scales and slid in halfway to the hilt. Then, as black blood smoked on the rocks, he had jerked, wresting Ingolfer's sword from his fingers. The blade was still embedded in the dragon's chest, glittering as he landed to block the cave entrance with his bulk. Sons, kill my sons, he breathed, voice labored but still strong. The sons' voices burgeoned in response. Ingolfer didn't stop, admiring how the setting sun turned the rock pools into golden mirrors. This was a beautiful place, worth dying to protect. Solofer coiled, hands twitching as he readied himself to leap. Then he screamed in anguish. Stinking blood gouted onto the rocks. Behind the dragon, Affy swung again, hacking into Solofer's wing at the base. The dragon spasmed, reaching for him. The old man's star steel blade was an arc of blue light, shearing the vast fingers off at the tips. And then, Ingolfer was before the dragon's chest. He placed his hands on his sword's smooth hilt and pushed it further in. Son, Solofer gasped. The dragon collapsed, fountaining rot. Afi laughed, covered in black blood. The poets would sing of such a blow, he said. I thought I'd lost you, lad, but it seems I found a brother. Ingolfer smiled. He felt like he was returning home. Yet there was no time. The sun's screams were almost upon them. We must stop them finding the eye, he called, sprinting past Affy into the caves. And they were running together, two warriors, into the dark and the center of change. The caves of the eye had transformed even since Ingolfer had been away. Anemones of a hundred colors striped the walls, while whelk eggs jeweled the sand. In the center, the eye still turned. Ingolfer breathed in its beauty as he plunged into the water. He felt the goddess's eye focus, and the reflection formed. The laughter echoed in his head. Accept this change, and he could be free of it. Yet a peace was settling over him. A peace he'd never known, like herring gulls flying in the sunset, heedless of the burning hate of the land below. He turned back to the cave entrance as Affy entered. All my life, Ingolfer told him, I felt I had to be like them. Thank you for showing me another way to be a warrior. Thank me later, lad, Affy said. Help me guard the door. Ingolfer shook his head. You have protected this isle long enough, Affy Haraldson. He gestured to the eye. Go and seek the shape you have always wished for. Join Carrie in the sky. Affy glanced at the waves, the light in his eyes bright and desperate. 
Then he turned away. There are dragon seekers out there, he whispered. Give me your blade, Ingolfer said. It will be my honor to wield it. Lad, there are too many to face alone. I am Ingolfer, old man, snake of the isle. I have slain Solofer. I stood against every Solopherson for the sake of children. I am a protector. He pointed to the narrow tunnel of quartz. They may have thirty blades, but here they must enter one by one. Affy stared at him a long moment. Thank you, he said. Affy's blade was old, but the star steel was unchipped, the edge sharp. Inglefer cut the air, testing its weight. The cries of the Solofersons echoed through the caves. They weren't laughing now. So Inglefer laughed for them, the child's laugh, clean with elation, the same way he had once laughed with Tolifer as a boy. He would never let them pass. It was his purpose to protect Affy and everyone else. Beyond him, the goddess's eye gleamed, his reflection still caught there in fragments. Scales of pure silver, eyes of gentle brown, and above them, the flash of vast seafaring wings. That was The Eye of the Goddess by Samuel Parr. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to us on. Or, better yet, share the magazine and podcast with a friend. If you'd like to listen to more speculative fiction, visit us online at magazine.metaphoricist.com or on Twitter at metaphoricistmag.com.